Welcome back to the Style That Binds Us podcast. I'm Allison Brune. And I'm Delia Folk, and we are the mother-daughter co-hosts, bringing you culture through the lens of style. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Style That Binds Us. My name is Delia Folk, and this is my mom, Allison Brune. And today we are here with Zamir Kassam. He is the CEO and Chief Designer of Zamir Kassam Fine Jewelry. His family was in the jewelry business, and so he grew up working in their stores. He got his MBA at Harvard Business School, and he has had a phenomenal career path. So get ready for this. He was a business analyst at McKinsey, Mm -hmm. and he worked at MTV Asia as the head of strategy and business development, and he was the head of bridal at De Beers in London, and this was all before founding his own line. And we met because we are both friends of the Costume Institute at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. So let's start by talking about how have these fabulous experiences, your career path, you've lived in so many different places. What are the top three takeaways from all those experiences led you to where you are today? Well, first of all, thank you so much for being here and letting me share my story. It's been such a wonderful time getting to know both of you. I'm a fan of the style that binds us, so I'm excited to be here. Um, I I do think that I've had some incredible experiences over time, but if I have to think about the three things that really were formative in getting me to where I am today, it would be growing up in my family jewelry business. It would be the time that I spent at Harvard Business School, and then the time I spent at De Beers Louis Vuitton because the De Beers experience was a joint venture between LVMH and De Beers. So growing up in the family jewelry business was exceptional because I was 12 years old, coming home from school every day, going straight to the shop, Mm -hmm. and learning about diamonds and rubies and gemstones, learning about how clients think about jewelry, and most importantly, spending time with people when they're about to celebrate the most beautiful moments in their lives. Mm -hmm. And I think back then, through my mother and my brother, I gained a real appreciation for the, the role that we play and the value that we have in that moment. Mm-hmm. When someone's celebrating their 50th birthday, when they're celebrating their proposal, their engagement, their anniversary, it was always something that I treasured mm-hmm. and my family treasured, and we were there forever. My parents have had stores for decades and they still have stores in Vancouver. And so I think at an early age, I realized that I had a little bit of a kernel of passion for this industry and for what we represent. Mm-hmm. I was also a teenager. And as many teenagers are, I didn't know if I wanted to spend all of my time in my family business and my mother and father every day for the rest of my life. I love them with all my heart, but I wanted to try something different. And that's when I went to McKinsey and MTV Networks. But it was after MTV that I realized that I wanted to do something different. I loved the media environment. I loved business, but I wanted to see if there was a way that I could combine my passion for jewelry with you know, some sort of a long-term business mm-hmm. aspiration. And so I went to Harvard Business School, and at business school, there was a professor of mine that sort of challenged us to speak about what we would do if we had all the money in the world and didn't have to worry about student loans, which I was very much, <laughs> which I very much had, sure. um, or any of these other realities of many of our classmates. And when he came to me, it was through a back and forth that I realized that if I had all the money in the world, I would design jewelry. Mm-hmm. But I didn't have all the money in the world, and so I needed to figure out how I was going to do something a little more corporate. Mm-hmm. And I was lucky enough to get an opportunity working with De Beers Diamond Jewelers, which was in London. And that's the third of the three experiences that I think really helped form my understanding of what I wanted to do. When I was at De Beers LVMH, it was an amazing experience. 
I got to learn how LVMH thinks of design and brand building, and you have to believe that this is the most extraordinary place, master, like the masterminds of luxury. Mm-hmm. And so I, I really felt like I learned a lot there. Mm-hmm. I learned about diamonds from De Beers. You know, I got to go to the mines in Botswana, literally put my hands in the soil where diamonds are mined and understand what's happening in the places that diamonds are coming from so I can yeah. feel more comfortable and excited about the industry that I'm about to step into for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like I knew that there was enough there as an industry that I was really excited to be part of it. What I didn't like is that the luxury industry and the fashion industry in general tends to, or especially during that time, 10 years ago, was tending towards more and more generic designs. Mm-hmm. You know, you had one or two SKUs that were selling 80% of the merchandise in the world, and so you'd have these days where I'd open my laptop and I'd see that 500 guys in cities all over the world proposed to the women that they loved, and they were obviously really excited about it, the stores were excited, and this team was excited, and I'd feel a little sad. Mm-hmm. And the sadness was because it, these 500 men proposed with largely the same ring. Mm-hmm. So I felt like these 500 women, while they're madly in love and amazing, so happy for them. Mm-hmm. I said, can we do a little bit more? Can we do something that's a little bit more personal? I mean, this is something that's going to be on their hand for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. If we're lucky, they're going to pass this down generation to generation. Mm-hmm. And it just felt like we, we owed it to them to do more. And then it was very difficult to do that in, in a large luxury goods organization. And, you know, more power to them. Mm-hmm. But I felt like maybe I could do something a little bit more personal on my own. And so if I didn't have those three experiences of the early days through the business training and then seeing what it's like in the business world of fine jewelry, I don't think I would have ever started this in the way that I did. Mm-hmm. And so what steps did you take in order to start your business? Well, there I wish I wish I could say that I have a business plan and I got investors <laughs> and I have a launch party. I first uh, left the role before my student loans were paid, which was not something I ever told my parents, because if you're from an immigrant family, uh, you, you know that that's a ridiculous thing to do, right? or any family. You know? <laughs> you know? um, so no, I, I actually left because one of my, one of my really good friends, uh, Imran, he knew that I had a passion for personalization and design, mm-hmm. and he knew that I was moving more and more towards the, the corporate side, mm-hmm. and he felt like if I didn't make a choice in my life at that moment, that I may not make that choice in the long term. Mm-hmm. By the way, this is Imran Ahmed of Business of Passion. Yeah. Yeah. He's also someone who's an amazing example of someone who follows his passions. Yeah. And he was saying to me that he felt like I should follow my passions as well. Mm-hmm. So I took his advice and the next morning I quit. Oh my God. <laughs> and it was, it was a wonderful time. I'm still very close sure. to everyone there. But I moved to New York. When I moved to New York, I didn't know what to do. I didn't have any money. I didn't have... Uh, I, again, couldn't tell my family, so I didn't have anywhere to stay. <laughs> so I actually ended up con- contacting a friend of mine from business school. And I let her know, and she said, come and stay with me in the East Village. We have an apartment, there's four, four of us sharing this apartment, there's one bathroom. Uh, <laughs> look, at that time, it was the most typical incredible, gracious thing, typical New York, yeah. creative story, and I ended up sleeping on the couch for seven months, rent-free. And it was during that time that I started to think about what would make this really exciting for me. And the first step was one of my classmates from business school, uh, Sandy asked me to design a ring for his girlfriend and wife, Lorena. And at that time, I, I called my family and said, hey, can you help me with this? Because I haven't really done this on my own before. And my brother was incredibly helpful in sort of connecting me with the right people and giving me some ideas of how we can make this personal. And through these conversations, I thought, wouldn't it be nice if we learned a little bit about his story, about how he feels about her? And so he spoke to me and he shared stories. My brother shared stories. And through that, we learned about this man who was so in love with his Colombian wife and he wanted to protect her and care for her for the rest of her life. And we also knew that she was very um, 
clumsy. <laughs> she's incredible powerhouse, but she's a little clumsy. And emerald is a very delicate stone. Right. And in her family, there was a history of the women wearing Colombian emeralds. Okay. And we knew that that was very risky for her. And he said, I know it's risky. I know it's going to be tough. But I want you to create a design where the Colombian emerald is protected by Canadian diamonds like me, her Canadian husband will forever protect her. Oh, and so in that first experience, I felt, you know, I still get this really? right? Yeah. And I felt like this is something that's not about the emerald, it's not about the diamonds, it's not about the design, it's about his love for her. Mm -hmm. It's about the time he's taking with me to share this story. Mm -hmm. And it felt like for the first time, there was something there that was really meaningful. Mm -hmm. And so we designed the ring. At that time, my family helped me. Of course, many, many years have passed since then. But at that time, we created this ring, and he presented it to her, and she was in tears. And I said, oh, it's because you finally got the emerald. She's like, no. It's like, oh, it's because of the Canadian diamonds. She's like, no. She says, because he spent time with you. Right. You know, my, my yes. incredible boyfriend was an incredibly busy finance guy. Mm -hmm. You know, this is not someone who, or no one, I think everyone is romantic. In, in that moment that they're about to propose to the woman they love, but they don't get an opportunity. And this is someone who had an opportunity yeah. and took it. And we took something from there and did something with it that she can now have on her hand to look at forever. Right. And so it was that moment that I think I realized there is something here. From there, it was a long and winding path. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a visa for the United States, so I had to take mm -hmm. many consulting roles with many different companies, mm -hmm. inside and outside of luxury, mm -hmm. including handsets in Finland and all sorts of wow. things to, to allow me to be here. I did a little stint in an online jewelry company. Mm -hmm. um, can speak about that another time, but I realized I'm not cut for the online world because it's mm -hmm. even more generic mm -hmm. in a lot of these stores. And so I really took some time to think about how this could not just be something really special and beautiful for the person that we're designing for, but how it could actually be a business. Mm -hmm. And I first set out, so I think there's three things that I did once I really decided to commit to this. Number one, I called my friends and asked them to be advisors. You know, those people that have been supportive over all this time. That's great. I wanted to get their really honest thoughts. Mm -hmm. And to this day, there's not a major decision I make that I don't contact at least three of these people, some of whom are business school classmates, some mm -hmm. of whom are you know people who've helped me along the path sure. uh, for their advice. And I think that was really important because there's a lot of shiny, sparkly things that are not right. Oh, right, 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 right. I think number two, I realized that a lot of what I have to offer has to be communicated person to person. Mm -hmm. It's not something mm -hmm. I can advertise about. It's not something that I can even pay for a sponsorship. It has to be through Sandy telling his friends and Lorraine yes. telling her friends. Yes. And so I realized early on that if I could create more content, to share with them what he did for her. Yes. Whether that's photographs of the, of the rings, right. or close-ups of the handwritten notes of the love stories and the sketches, that might help them kind of share the gospel mm -hmm. with their friends who are at a moment in time where they're gonna celebrate something meaningful and special. Yeah. And you know what I think about that too, that I feel like there are a lot of men that, that can't articulate their feelings, mm -hmm. and so they would just say, will you marry me? But the ring, is what they're saying without having to speak Absolutely. the words, if that makes sense. Absolutely. It's a really beautiful thing. I mean, I, well, I appreciate that. And I think yeah. there's a lot of times where people believe they have to have a really elaborate proposal. Yes. And what I say to them is, to, you know, be you be you. You know, have right. a big proposal, a small proposal, whatever you want to do. But know that you've spent, you know, one month, two months, three months building this incredibly meaningful ring. Mm -hmm. When you share with her what you did here in the ring, mm -hmm. that will be more 
sort of mind-blowing and emotional and exciting oh, yeah. than any I've Long-lasting. Yeah. I, I believe. Yeah. Um, but I think, to that point, when people hear about this idea of doing something meaningful and spending a few months or a month or whatnot, yes. I think it gets daunting. And especially wow. for guys who have never looked at building an engagement ring or sure. creating a piece of jewelry like this for their wife or their girlfriend, or even women who are making it for themselves, or women yeah, making yeah. it for the men they love, I think they start to get very it's concerned. Correct. Yeah, exactly. And like, where do I even begin? Right. And so that's actually the third thing I did after finding mentors and building the content, is being actually very systematic about the process. Because there, there can't just be this big creative, like, let's have let's chat. That, yeah. That's not gonna work. Create whatever you want. Exactly. So we, we have, you know, sounds a little bit too systematic, but it, it is important. So we have a three-step process. Each step takes an hour. Starts with a tutorial where I try to train the person I'm working with on what I think is worth it and what's not worth it mm -hmm. when it comes to diamonds, rubies, emeralds, sapphires. Uh, the second step is learning the love story or the family story, and that's mm -hmm. just one hour. It yeah. doesn't need to be more, in fact. You spend too much time, you go down rabbit holes that are actually sure. not so important. Sure. And then the third step is when we share the notes, the sketches, and the diamonds and actually start you know, deciding on some of these factors, and that's when we take a deposit and start making the ring mm -hmm. or the piece of jewelry. Mm -hmm. And so I think that this idea of having the desire to do something romantic mm -hmm. for your husband or your wife or your mother or your father, combined with this idea that it can be done in three hours over the course of three weeks, and that's a lot less than you would spend walking down Fifth Avenue, oh, which yeah. you can see from here, and shopping at all the stores and doing the research, I think it kind of makes it a little more accessible mm -hmm. and tangible. And that's, that, I think, was the most important thing that I did. Yeah, that was smart. Of those three to really make this into a business. Yeah, that makes sense. Smart, very much so. Okay, so besides these insanely fabulous engagement rings, do you also make other classifications of jewelry? Of course. The only thing that we care about is that there's a story to tell. It really doesn't matter to me whether it's an anniversary or an engagement, whether it's a piece of jewelry for a man or a woman, a necklace, earrings, bangles, whatever it is. I even did a watch strap for someone. Mm -hmm. All and, and again, it doesn't matter if it's someone that has six months or six days to dedicate to this. We can even do it that quickly. And it doesn't matter whether it's you know, a few thousand dollars or many, many thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. All that matters to me is that it's a moment in time that you want to say something special to the person you love and usually that has something to do with I love you and thank you. Mm -hmm. the gratitude is a big part right. of this. Mm -hmm. And that you're willing to share a little bit of that story with us. Mm -hmm. If you are, then it's my honor to tell that story through a piece of jewelry. And there's some pieces that are laid out here that are necklaces. For example, there's one where a mother made it for her daughter for her daughter's wedding. And I thought, well, that would be really wonderful, really special. And I sat down with her and she said, yeah, you know, design whatever you want. I said, well, you know, I think, Mrs. Shatley, it would be great if I could learn a little bit more about your family. And I learned the history of these women in this family and how, you know, through many different challenges where they were in cultures and societies that they wouldn't necessarily be able to be as, you know, sort of powerful mm -hmm. and successful, these women in this family had sort of always shined through. And so what I decided is we're going to tell the story not just of your love for your daughter, but of the women in this family. Mm -hmm. And so we went back in time and looked at the grandmothers, the mothers, and the sisters' wedding photos. And we took flowers from each of these weddings, which were really important moments because each of these women had very much chosen their partner very carefully, including this woman who was getting married now. Mm -hmm. And I think her mother said that there's many decisions you'll make in your life. But the person you marry who's going to be by your side till the day you die is the most important. Mm -hmm. And finding someone who will not just support you, but will fan your flames mm -hmm. is everything. 
And so we wanted to tell that story. When you look closely at the necklace, there's different flowers, three different flowers that are repeated, which represent three different flowers from each of these three weddings. Mm -hmm. And then on the back, there's a carving of a poem that is a poem wow. about sort of independence mm -hmm. and be, you know, sort of putting yourself first and how that's how you manage your family, mm -hmm. so making sure you're okay. Mm -hmm. And that's carved on the back of the necklace. So, you know, again, it's, we're primarily known for engagement rings, mm -hmm. but I think what's exciting to me is when someone has a story to tell and we can kind of go creatively and tell that story. Yeah. The idea that now that person now has a daughter, oh, this client, okay. and I think about little Lila, you know, someday inheriting this necklace which has elements of her mother, mm -hmm. grandmother, and great-grandmother's story. Mm -hmm. I mean, that to me is, yeah, you know, again, goosebumps, right? Like, yes. it, those are the moments that we live for, is to tell a story of a moment in time right. that will be a vehicle to share what matters from generations ago to the people that will follow us. Right. I think it's an yeah. incredible honor. That is amazing. Okay, so some people are into logos and brands and they want to be able to say, oh, well, this is from this place. Mm -hmm. So what would you say to someone instead of going to Tiffany's or De Beers mm -hmm. or Harry Winston, why should they go with your brand? Well, first of all, I'll say that these are incredible brands. Sure. If you have grown up like many people in my mother's generation, dreaming of a blue box or a red box, right then more power to you. I will never stand between someone and their dreams, and if that's the dream, then that's the dream. I think it comes down to what you really want as your objectives out of this piece of jewelry. Mm -hmm. Do you want something that, that sort of screams the brand name when you walk in? And I'm not, again, judging that. Do you want something that's super, you know, blindingly sparkly, but may not be really good quality, but it doesn't matter because no one's gonna come close that shows across the football stadium? I'm okay with that, you know, like, whatever will make you happy is what you should do because that's all this is about. What I would say about what we do is that we make things that are a little more personal mm -hmm. and meaningful. It's not necessarily more expensive, it's not necessarily smaller or bigger, it should still catch the light across the football stadium, but it, instead of speaking about me or a brand name, mm -hmm. it speaks about you. Mm -hmm. You know, it speaks about you and your love story and the way that someone has felt about you and wants to convey that to you in a way that will last forever. And so a lot of them. There's no other. There. There's none. It's totally unique. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's, it's interesting because you find that there's this world of people, and I'm very much included in that, who are very classic, you know, very classic, timeless. You might wear some fun accessories here and there, but for a ring on my hand forever, I want something that will be absolutely stunning today, 50 years from now, and in my dreams, my kids and grandkids will want to wear it. But they also want something different. You don't want what everyone else has. You don't want the same you know, band six prong on this knife edge, whatever it is, and so you're kind of stuck. It's like you either go for the brand that's classic, mm -hmm. or you get a designer to create something really eclectic, which is not mm -hmm. timeless. Mm -hmm. And what we try to do is kind of find a world where it's both of those, but in a really meaningful way. The aesthetic is timeless and classic. Mm -hmm. All of our pieces usually have a beautiful diamond or precious gemstone in the center, mm -hmm. whether it's a ring or a necklace or earrings. And then the diamonds around it are sort of placed in a way that's meant to be very classic and timeless, but usually incredibly meaningful. The number of diamonds might tell the story of the number of months you've been together mm -hmm. before he proposes. You know, you might have secret gemstones that are hidden on the inside that tells the story of the 50 years that you've been together and the four children you've had, and a few moments where you were by her side and it meant the world to her. Mm -hmm. You know, there's all sorts of ways that we can make something really different, unique, and wildly personal so that there's no one else in the world that has it, right. while still looking classic and timeless enough that you won't get bored of it 
in 15 or 20 years, right. and it won't look like it was made in 2019. It'll look like it was made sometime in the past because of that right. and timeless. Right. If that, if that yeah, makes yeah. sense. Very much so. Yeah, I was wondering how you found your clients. Yeah, so most of our clients were word of mouth. Okay. Um, we again started this business many years ago when I was working with people that I met at Harvard Business School. Mm -hmm. And through that, I learned this really early lesson that I mentioned before, which is that any person who's in love or has love to share with their husband, wife, daughter, mother, father, is at a moment in time where they're willing to be very romantic. Mm -hmm. And by romance, I don't mean the cheesy romance necessarily. I mean just telling a little bit about That's how true. they fell in love and what it is about the person that caught their eye the very first time that they saw each other, mm -hmm. some of the early milestones in the relationship, some of the formative things they did, whether it was meeting each other's parents, mm -hmm. going on a trip to a wedding, you know, certain moments where she or he may have lost a job and the other person was there for them. Mm -hmm. Those moments we learned from anyone. And so I knew if, if these are the guys who I'm working with now, then it's really anyone. Yeah. And so I met people that they knew and people that they knew, and all of a sudden it became this kind of engine of referrals. And then we started to build this content where they could share some of these stories on their social media, which was incredibly helpful. Oh, yeah. This was 2012, sure. 2013. Right. Facebook and Instagram you know, right. was relatively new. <laughs> I feel very old saying that. No, only a few years ago. But through those vehicles, people could share not like, look how big my diamond is, or look how much he spent, oh, yeah. but like, look what he did for me, or look what right. she did for me. She spent time with this artist mm -hmm. to tell our story mm -hmm. in a wedding band for me. It, it's, it was kind of a little bit of a shocking moment because I don't think people were used to seeing so many details and I'll happily share with you some stories and you're yeah. welcome to share them on, on the website yeah, to show sure. what we actually do. But I think in that moment, through that content, it started to really become an engine of people coming in. Right. And so we started to get many more inbound requests from people who knew us through someone. Right. And then we realized that we're at this really privileged moment in our life. I very gratefully get invited to most of the celebrations that I'm involved with very early on. And so I started to think, what if we celebrated them even more? Mm -hmm. And so one thing we do for not all of our clients, because it's not you know, feasible, but for many people that we have the honor of working with, usually here in New York and some other cities, mm -hmm. we'll try to throw a proposal party. And those happened a little bit more in 2016, 2015, 2017 mm -hmm. than today. But that was really interesting because he proposes, she says yes, he shares the idea of all these different details of the ring. And then minutes later, I meet with her, or a day later, two days later, and I share with her the notes of what he said about her, oh, the sketches so that bring the story to life. Right. And in some cases, we would even invite their friends and family. Yeah. And really, really have like an unveiling of the latest piece of art. As if, right. You know, and then I think other artists get a chance to do that, but jewelry designers don't. Right. And for me, it's not only a chance to share the story of my latest piece, my newest baby. <laughs> It's also a chance to meet people that I would be honored someday to tell the story. Oh, absolutely. And so that kind of helped fan the flames, especially sure. in the earlier days of, of you know, introducing us to, right. to folks that we'd be honored to work with. Now you probably don't have the time. It's hard to keep it personal as it's getting bigger, I'm sure. It, it is hard to keep it. It's hard to do as much as I used to do for each individual client. Right. But what we're finding is that there's still ways that we can make it really meaningful and special for them. Right. We're using technology more. I'm doing more FaceTime. Yeah. Um, because I still meet every yeah, great. You know, everyone still, I want to. I mean, it, well, it has to be. That's yeah. the DNA of the brain. Exactly. And it's also like my DNA. Right. 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 I, I lived this incredible experience working on the corporate side. Right. And if I didn't get the chance to work with individuals, again, even if it's 
hundreds of dollars is, you know, as a music piece or whatever it is, yeah. and I'm not feeling connected to the person who's ultimately going to be the custodian of this right. piece of jewelry until he or she passes it down to the right. next generation long after I'm gone. So that connection still has to happen. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest challenges, which I get asked for when I'm at Harvard Business School or Stanford, is how do you scale the business? My answer is, I don't know. <laughs> we'll yeah. figure it out. Right. And if we don't, And you might not want to scale it that big. I mean, That's the thing. Everybody wants to scale, but you don't want to lose what you're doing exactly. in the process. I, exactly. Okay, and speaking of that, I would like to know, you know, this this ring that I adore, and I would love for you to tell a quick synopsis about this unbelievable yes. ring. Yes. Well, that, that's a very, I mean, every ring to me is special because it represents sure. something that someone loves. Um, this particular ring is the ring that Ashley Judd wore to the Oscars last year, and it represents the Times Up movement. And it was really special because I wanted to do something, you know, for a celebrity cause. I never worked in that world, and I had this sort of idea that if we could create something that someone was passionate about and loved as much as they would love another person. You know, we're about love stories, but why does it have to be about people? Mm -hmm. What if you love a cause or love something in the world so much that it is your true passion? Mm -hmm. Why not tell that story? Mm -hmm. And so we knew that there was, of course, a moment with Time's Up, and it was very frustrating mm -hmm. for many people. Most of my team is female, and mm -hmm. my team especially came to me and said, this is something that we want to be part of. Mm -hmm. And so it was not an idea that came from me, and I'm very open about that. It was my team's sure. show. Time's Up is something that we feel strongly about, and we would like to be a part of it. Yeah. And I said, well, wonderful. You know, let, let me know who you respect in this, in this mm -hmm. sort of moment. And it was unanimous that Ashley Judd was the person that they were so proud of mm -hmm. for having stood up at that time to certain things in her life. And I was lucky enough to have a member of my advisory board, because as I mentioned, my advisors mm -hmm. are incredibly valuable and important people in my life, mm -hmm. Amy Toblek, and she is the head of a cause marketing agency, and she happened to know the folks at Time's Up. Mm -hmm. And so she contacted Time's Up, I was able to reach out to Ashley Judd, we spent some time together, and I realized, in speaking with her and also speaking with my team, that this, the Time's Up movement is, is broader than what had started with sexual harassment and mm -hmm. some of these really kind of legal, illegal issues mm -hmm. to a broader issue of representation. And so I remember, this is, this is how this works, right? It was midnight, I'm lying in bed <laughs> and I'm thinking deeply about the story and I think, ah, oh, I have this moment. So I texted one of the members of my team, the head of the business actually, uh, this woman, woman by the name of Keelan. And for better or worse, we text each other very late, <laughs> as one can imagine. I said, okay, I've got the idea. I want you to figure out how many movies that have ever been nominated for Best Picture were produced or directed by a woman, directed by a woman. And I want to celebrate those women with white diamonds, but put black diamonds for as far as we need to go. And I was like, 30% women, 30% white, 70% black. Great, she's like, wonderful. 1 a.m., I have the answer. Yeah. I was like, okay, give it to me. And she's like, five. Wow. So 5%? of the movies that have ever been nominated were produced by women. And she's like, no, Samir, five in total. Wow. Five movies over, I think it's uh, 90 years of the Oscars, something. And she's like, no, Samir, five nominees. That's six or seven nominees per year times 90 years of the Oscars. We're talking five over 630. Wow. And that's why I literally, like, I wanted to throw the phone down. Wow. I'm not, you know, I'm not an activist. I'm not I'm in not that world. Of world. Right. I mean, there are so many people who are doing amazing things to change the world. And I'm, you know, I'm in awe of them. Right. But to imagine a moment where media is meant to reflect us and 
we watch it and consume it all the time in all these different methods, and there's such little representation of something as simple as gender. Like we're not even getting into all of the other things, right? International and other other groups of people, but I found that to be shocking. And so we said there will be no white diamonds other than the diamond in the center. Everything around the center is black. Everything on the sides is black. But we will pay tribute to the five women who have shattered these glass walls and floors and ceilings by placing their five gemstones on the inside of the band, the gemstones that represent their birthdays. And the fifth of those five in last year's Oscars was Greta Gerwig of Lady Gaga. Oh. And so as you look at the prongs, the prongs are actually carved and sculpted as a, wing, as a bird's wings in flight to evoke a little bit of Lady Bird, but also to say there is a movement. We are in flight. We have far, far to go. And so when I got to meet Ashley with the ring, it was actually in Salma Hayek's home uh, two days before the Oscars. Wow. It was the most, it was one of the most extraordinary experiences for me because I felt like I was in the presence of someone who had just such a clear sense of herself mm -hmm. and of what she believes in. And when I presented this to her, we had this moment where I think she really appreciated what I did in a way that I don't think, you know, it has been clear to someone so quickly. Yes. And we, I was able to share the story, we were able to spend a little bit of time together. There were tears that were shed, which is you know, somewhat slash incredibly embarrassing. But like, let's be clear, you know, this is kind of how it is when you feel this strongly about oh, yeah. building something. And then, uh, what I'll also say, and I, you know, again, you know, I'm very open about this, I don't know what's been shared or what's not been shared, but a lot of what happens in the celebrity world is very carefully managed by a number of incredibly mm -hmm. helpful, important people who help manage and style yeah. and are part of this, you know, celebrity Hollywood machine. And I think that there was this belief when I came with this ring and mm -hmm. presented it to her, and she was excited to wear it that we were looking for a ton of publicity. Mm -hmm. And what I told her, and I told them, is you know, there's it's really hard for someone who's watching the Oscars to even know who we are. Sure. If they hear my name, they're not going to know how to spell it. They're <laughs> unlikely to Google it. They're unlikely to then reach out. And, and so I said, this is truly just from me for her. If there's no mentions on so social media, no tags, nothing, that's okay. Mm -hmm. This is for her to have something that makes her feel you know, beautiful, Wonderful. loved, and for us to just say thank you. Yes. And I think because there was no clear commercial goal, she then went to the Oscars and she spoke about it mm -hmm. on the red carpet. It was, you know, again, right. <laughs> getting a lot of goosebumps with you guys. But, um, it's an amazing it story. It was a special, special moment to hear her speak about yes. it on the red carpet and what it meant to her. And then all of these people after that who kind of reached out to me and said, you know, thank you for doing this and that it right. means something. And I felt like uh, it was the first time I created jewelry that didn't have a love story but had a purpose. Yeah. And I think that that then started to create this new fire in me to do something for the Tonys with Ming-Na Wen, who is another trailblazing artist who is presenting an award at the Tonys for the school teacher who, um, who started a drama class mm -hmm. uh, for the children, for the school that had been suffering the, the mass shootings. Yeah. And so I created a pair of earrings for her for that moment, and then I was involved in the Met Gala to some extent, I was involved in the Crazy Rich Asians movie, and I think it just sort of showed me that there's more than people's love stories for other people mm -hmm. that I can hopefully be part of. And for that, I'm internally grateful. And I think because you look at it that way, before you look at the business end of it, that's why people wear the jewelry. I, you know, I hope so. Oh yeah, absolutely. I hope that when people see the rings and necklaces and earrings I make, that they get that it means a lot more than the right. diamond and the gemstones. The passion that you feel and the respect and everything else. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, the, and the way that 
they feel about someone and someone feels about them and the way they feel about a cause or the things that they can change in the world. I mean, every one of these stories, because it's based on love and gratitude, is important. Right. And for me, it's a wild honor to be able to tell these stories. Right, and it's just a thing. Mm-hmm. But it's much bigger than a thing. It's there, it's always with them, no matter where they are. You exactly. know, they're like, they're carrying that with them. Um, how long How long does it take to make something from beginning to end? Yeah, so it, it depends on the complexity of the piece. Right. But we can actually make a fairly complicated piece in as little as seven days, you know, in one week. It used to take a lot longer. Sure. But over time, we've built a very kind of interesting lean operation. Mm-hmm. You know, my background yeah. again in business. What works? Um, yeah. There's a bunch of sort of practices that I brought in from the Toyota production system. <laughs> you want to talk about lean manufacturing. I actually know yeah. more than anyone would care to know about it, but sure. we implemented a number of practices that mean that we have very little wasted time. That's great. If you just imagine, and you, you have much more experience than even I do in the traditional retail world, but we have no stores. Right, so right. we don't have to stock stores, man stores, right. pay all that overhead. We don't carry inventory. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm not pulling anything out of a showcase and saying this is what you need to have. Right. And we don't do any marketing, so there's no people who are involved in pricing strategies and all that. Right. But what it means is that everyone who works in this team mm-hmm. can single-handedly and singularly focus on making each person's experience right. wildly romantic and beautiful, finding the diamond or the gemstone in the world that is the perfect one for this project, learning the love story, and then crafting the piece of jewelry one by one for that client. And so we're not making stock or inventory. We're not wasting any of this time or resources. Okay. And I think that means that every hour, every yes. minute is wildly efficient right. relative to the rest of the industry. Right. right. And that kind of disruptive style of business model is something that I'm quite proud of. Oh, yeah. Because it means Definitely. we can do this, but we can do this in a way that's building a business, which means I can hopefully serve more and more people and tell more stories right. over time. Right. So how do you find those stones? Well, I think the, the, the wonderful thing about my experience at De Beers Group, mm-hmm. when I worked for them after mm-hmm. business school, is that I again got to have the experience of going to the mines of Botswana. Right. Um, and actually there's a video that I'm releasing soon that shows my experiences in the mines, sort of speaking a little bit about sustainability and transparency in the diamond mm-hmm. industry. Yeah, that's you know, important. It's incredibly important and yes. also very personal. My parents are from Tanzania. Right. They were refugees in 1971. They left and moved to Canada. Okay. And the majority of the world's diamonds are found in South Africa, Botswana, mm-hmm. Namibia, mm-hmm. which are very close. I mean, it's, it's on the same continent. It's a four-hour flight. It's not right. next door. Right. But it's not outside of the neighborhood. Right. And the idea that I would be part of an industry that wasn't at least trying to find ways to do things more ethically and be at the forefront of this sort of seismic shift in the way people think about their right. clothing and their, and their jewelry and wanting to know that it's not just sustainable or transparent, but it's actually doing good for the people who are physically yes. mining and creating yes. this jewelry or mining the diamonds, I think was really important to me. Mm-hmm. So when I was at Harvard Business School, I spent my second semester, second year, in the mines of Botswana, doing a project with the government of the country, trying to figure out how we could create more beneficiation, which is when an industry has you know, one natural resource, in this case diamonds, mm-hmm. how can you build more economies around it? Diamond cutting, jewelry design, mm-hmm. other ancillary tra- tourism, Mm-hmm. You know, what can you do to build up the local economy? Okay. From that experience, I got very positive about diamonds from Botswana. Okay. Fast forward 10 years. Of course, now I'm here, we have this business, and De Beers Group is one of the partners, our strategic partner in this business, where we have access to the Forevermark Diamonds oh, yeah. and something called the Exceptionals, which is 
the most extraordinary of De Beers brand wow. diamonds. Wow. And that's it. I still also have access to all other diamonds and gemstones in the world through these relationships. So I've traveled to Afghanistan looking for emeralds. I've traveled to uh, all over Africa looking for different stones. I'm going to Jaipur very soon in a few weeks wow. with my mother. <laughs> She's much better in color than I am, let's that's be honest. Neat. You know, I like to wear a little bit of color when I'm seeing Delia, but normally I'm in navy blue and gray, and you know that. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but my mother's really good at like sapphires and rubies, yeah. and I like to kind of have that experience with her. So I'm That's bringing cool. her along to Jaipur, we're going to be sitting at the Rambad Palace and looking at all these beautiful gemstones, because, I mean, how much fun. Yeah, Even if you don't make anything, like, how much That's fun. right, with your mother. Yeah, exactly. But it means that I get to go to the places where the gemstones come from, mm -hmm. I see the people who've cut them, mm -hmm. I can shake the hands of the people who are selling them, mm -hmm. and then I actually can formulate this piece of jewelry for the person who will wear them. Yes. And to be able to connect from the very ground to the very person, yes. to me, is the ultimate yes. in being responsible for what I'm making. Now, it's not always possible, right? The diamond industry sure. still has many pockets of opacity. Mm -hmm. It's not all transparent, but we're working on it. Mm -hmm. They're working on it, and I'm trying as hard as I can to be part of that solution That's great. as we go forward. Yeah, that's yeah. fabulous. And so how many people does it take to make a piece of your jewelry? Yeah, so it's, it's interesting because when I, when I was working in the luxury world, it was many people and the number of hands I thought I could never produce. Um, it actually takes three people. Three people are involved in every single piece of jewelry we create, except for those pieces that might have something very unique, like pearls that require a master pearl stringer, mm -hmm. or cutting a gemstone to another specification, which we don't typically do in-house. Mm -hmm. So those expertise we'll bring in from all over the world. Mm -hmm. But we actually have three people who, who physically make the pieces, and it typically takes three weeks worth of hours. But if we have a client who wants something sooner, then we run shifts back to back. Mm -hmm. And our team is incredibly agile. You know, when you have this few people who are this passionate about making each piece and know the story, then they're very happy to not come in at 8 a.m., but to come in at 6 p.m. and sort of figure out how we're going to make it work so that this person can share this piece of jewelry to celebrate this incredible moment this week. Oh, really? That's amazing. <laughs> it, is, it is pretty remarkable, and I have to give my team credit. I'm definitely not the one who developed all of these practices. I'm not the one who, who manages it. I have, in addition to the three people who make the pieces, I have a team that manage the process, who do the quality control, mm -hmm. all run by, again, my, my COO. Um, and it's been unbelievable to see how someone who didn't have any experience in the jewelry industry can come in and actually change the way that it's, that it's made, that it's done. That's great. And from that perspective, you know, one piece of advice I have for people is don't be afraid to look outside of your industry mm -hmm. for people who can help transform your industry. Yeah, that's <laughs> it's, so it's logical when you think about it that way, but it's so unusual. Right. Um, but I think it's been really important and really valuable for mm -hmm. me. And are they based all over the world or in New York? Everyone's based in New York. Okay. We have a satellite office in London, but we very rarely use that now. Mm -hmm. uh, what we found is that if we can all be together here, sure. then we can deploy our storytellers to meet clients all over the world. I think you may have mentioned to you earlier today that today there's only two of us in town. <laughs> right. Everyone is somewhere meeting a client somewhere in the world, right. learning their story, sharing the jewels, you know, maybe even presenting a piece of jewelry that someone's about to take and about to celebrate or propose with. Uh, but then we all come back here, and every you know, twice a week we have full day sessions where we hash out everything. Mm -hmm. uh, we have someone on our team who we call the chief storyteller, and her job is to be the custodian of the story. 
So she's, you know, we're sitting in a room and I'm sharing one of my latest sketches and it has this really eclectic, kind of cool, romantic prong shape that's based on something that maybe I was, you know, I saw when I was uh, watching a film or coming back from a trip to Morocco. And it's her who says, Mira, that's beautiful but it really has nothing to do with their story. <laughs> it's nice that you love that, mm -hmm. and you know, we love you, but we have to go back to, that, to the cathedral yeah. in Cali, Colombia, where you know, her family is based because that was really important to him, and that's where we need to get the inspiration. And you started there, but you've kind of gone a little bit mosaic. Mm -hmm. We need to go, and I'm like, sorry, right? I went a little bit too far, rein me in. Right. Um, but that's, that's what we do together when we're here, and it's, you think about all these teams of people who spend all this time hashing things out and problem solving. 90% of our time sort of discussing, debating, sometimes getting emotional, sometimes getting very specific is all about love stories. Mm -hmm. It's all about honoring the exact stories of that guy who, you know, when he was, this is one of our stories, but he was away on an assignment in Iraq serving for the military and he was writing letters to his college sweetheart, not ever thinking anything would happen, but through his experience there, realized that he could only get through it with these letters. And those letters turned into a romance. They turned into a really serious romance. He came back and he married her and he hasn't been able to articulate to her in the 10 years that they've been married since he came back how much she has meant to him, not just as a wife and a friend, but as a complete support structure for someone coming back from war, mm -hmm. had to really get through a lot of things to be able to kind of be himself again. Mm -hmm. And so you hear these stories, and yeah, it's nice to kind of debate about finances or think about design, but no, it's, it's you have to honor that story. Sure. That's more important than any of us. And it's very serious. It's yeah. very serious. Yeah. And it's, it's not always that serious. <laughs> but, well, everybody's story yeah. is. It is super I, serious. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what people say. Sometimes like, well, that's a, that's a crazy story. I don't have a story like that. Yeah. So if you're in love, if you've been married, if you have children, if you don't have children, if you're a parent, we all have emotions. Right. If you have it's any feeling of gratitude, there's a story there. Yeah. If you don't have a feeling of gratitude, then let's talk about it. <laughs> I can help you figure out what you should be thankful for. Because we all sure. show that we couldn't be thankful for this. Yeah. Separate conversation. Right, right. <laughs> okay, so the fact that to get your MBA, it is definitely a financial commitment as well as lots of time. So do you think it is imperative to get your MBA in order to start a business? You know, Delia, I, I think that it is not imperative to get an MBA to start a, a fashion and jewelry business, but it is extremely helpful and has been formative for me. And I think there's three reasons. I think number one, people have this sort of disgust or at least a discomfort with business when they're in the creative industries. Oh, yeah. And I often speak to students at Parsons and FIT, mm -hmm. and they don't want to sell out. You know, they have this feeling like, if I have to create merchandise to sell, then I'm not being creative. Right. And I think there's some truth to that if you are working in the wrong capacity, if you're a little too financially minded. Mm -hmm. But the opposite has been very true for me, which is if I didn't have a business, if I didn't have a profit objective and clients paying for mm -hmm. these pieces of jewelry, I wouldn't have had the funds to invest in the business and the learnings that have allowed me to be much more creative mm -hmm. and to push the boundaries of storytelling to create some of the things that I think now are so much more exciting mm -hmm. than even the earliest days. I think there's a reality there that there is a need for commercial success to fan the flames of your creativity. Sure. And to that end, business school can be very valuable. Mm -hmm. um, 
you can also get some of those classes on the Business of Fashion website, mm -hmm. even on the Harvard Business School online website. There are ways to get some of that knowledge, mm -hmm. but going to do an MBA is a surefire way of getting it. Mm -hmm. I think number two, there's an element of access. So when I was in business school, my dream job was to work for De Beers, Louis Vuitton, Bridal and Classics. Mm -hmm. I would have waited to be 50 years old and done that. Mm -hmm. The idea that I took that time to knock on hundreds of doors, go through hundreds of rejections, uh, to get to the point where I was interviewing to work for the summer without getting paid, mm -hmm. and then getting the full-time offer to have my dream job, working in that dream job for two years, and then realizing I didn't love it as much as I thought I would, it's invaluable. You know, that was what I kind of carry with me now, and know that no matter what happens, this is my dream job. Right. There's no ambiguity, there's no question. Should I, should I? Exactly, yeah. and that time that I took, Forget about the money even, because that's right. it's, it's a lot. Right. But the time that it took to figure that out and make that happen, I don't think I could have done that while I was working for some other company. Yeah. It would have been very difficult. And, and it so, opened doors for you to get in front of those people. Absolutely. Yes. And even now, some of the people oh, I worked sure. with there are my clients. Yeah. So there's, there's this amazing world where those doors that you knock on that say no 10 years, 15 right. years ago, they're still in the fold. You still yeah. keep in touch. And then yeah. all of a sudden today, they can become very exciting partners in different ways. Mm -hmm. But the third thing that was the most extraordinary for me was the people that I met. Mm -hmm. I mean, the people that have been the ones who let me sleep on their couch rent-free for seven months while I was thinking about what I was gonna do. The people who were the very first clients who said, look, you have never designed a ring, but here's my 5,000 hard-earned dollars, or 50,000 hard whatever it is, entrusted me right. with something this important. That is the kind of feeling where I feel like I will never let you down. Right. And that's different than someone at the bank saying here's alone. Yes. It's like a trust-based relationship. And those relationships that started then are among my closest clients, my closest relationships. Advisors. And advisors, yeah. absolutely. And so from that perspective, when certain things happen, like the you know the, the movie premieres or being able to be recognized by certain publications, my first thought is that I want to show this to all of the clients that have given me this chance, that have funded my creativity, that have literally sat there and shared their stories, mm -hmm. you know, thank you, and yeah. know that I, this is for you, this is us, and I right. will not let you down. Right. But I don't think I would have made those deep relationships mm -hmm. if I didn't go to business school. Mm -hmm. And so I, I'm 100% that it was incredibly valuable for me. Mm -hmm. I don't know if everyone needs to do it. I think there are ways that you can be in this business and this industry and okay. certainly be an entrepreneur right out of undergrad and do very well as many examples mm -hmm. uh, we can read about, but it wouldn't have been the right path for me. Mm -hmm. Okay, so besides this ring that we know the story of now, um, what, who are some other notable people that have worn your beautiful jewelry? Well, I think it, it's an interesting question, uh, Allison, because I feel like you know, all of my clients are notable right. because they're all incredible people. Exactly. And many of the women that I serve through the pieces that I make are actually incredibly successful, powerful, glass ceiling breaking business women. Wonderful. Literally CEOs of some of the biggest banks and firms in the country okay. are people who wear rings. And, and to be honest, those are people that I'm incredibly like, fascinated yeah. and awe of. Yeah. Um, obviously, they're quite confidential, sure. especially given their work, and so I can't speak about them. Right. I think about them first. Right. In addition, some of the folks that you might know, uh, in addition to Ashley W. Lupita Nyong'o, mm -hmm. who I was also very honored to design another ring that also told the story of Time's Up for the Oscars, mm -hmm. um, Vanity Fair Party, and there's a 
beautiful, iconic photo at the Vanity Fair party of her wearing the ring. I'll send it to you. Yeah. But it's just so exciting to see her. Yes, she's happy. But she's the one you really admire, too. I mean, at least of course. I do. Yeah. I mean, she's, again, boundary breaking. Everyone's doing incredible yeah. things, but I do have a certain excitement towards someone who has a little bit of East African blood, like sure. my family. Yeah. Um, I was also lucky enough to work on almost every member of the cast of Crazy Rich Asians now. Mm. I was introduced through Adele Lim, who is the screenwriter of the movie, okay. and I was lucky enough to then meet uh, Constance and all of the other folks and see them really in their element through all of the premieres, from the LA premiere through the New York screening to the Singapore premiere, wow. and then through this, this awards season. Right. And so literally all of the folks in that movie uh, have worn pieces of mine. And then there's been a few other folks from the Tonys, I think I mentioned mm -hmm. Ming-Na Wen, who sure. is the voice of Mulan and also my agent's yeah. shield, yeah. and is one of my favorite She's on uh, Fresh Off the Boat right now, with oh. Constance Wu, so oh. both of, I saw oh. them both in the same oh. scenes, I'm like, they're both my brides, or wow. my brides, they're both my brides, so yes, yes. I dress them both, which is also yes. exciting. Um, one person I really, this is a very Zamir thing, yes. but Stephanie Beatrice, who uh -huh. is actually on uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yeah, I know exactly. So I've been on, on planes all the time, and I don't, uh, I don't like to watch really heavy things. You know? I, agree, I, agree. I love just like you know, sort of vegging out, yes. getting engrossed. And so I actually yeah. love Brooklyn Nine-Nine. So yeah. I was really excited when she wore my Times Up bangles. Oh, um, also to the Elton John after party of the Oscars, but then I got to create some of the jewels for her wedding. Wow, which was really exciting. And so right. it's been really fun, you know, sort of getting to know all these folks yeah. and a few other, a few other actors and actresses sure. here and there. Um, but really what I focus on are yes. the regular everyday people who in their lives are breaking boundaries and doing such incredible things every day. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Everyone is notable. Mm -hmm. Everyone on this planet is notable. <laughs> and, so and every story deserves to be told. That's right. That's right. Okay, so your pieces are so fabulous. And if they're not on a client's body somewhere... Would you be open to renting the pieces similar to fine art and clothing? What goes into, what would go into that? Yeah, that's a really interesting question, Julia. The answer is no. Right. And the reason that I wouldn't be open to renting out the piece of jewelry is that most of the pieces of jewelry, and this is something that may be a little secret, uh, that people wear on the red carpet are actually people's jewelry. So remember, I don't have any inventory. We don't make samples, we don't carry an inventory of mm -hmm. red carpet borrowing pieces. What actually happens is that I might learn that Lupita Nyong'o wants something for a red carpet, and we get a sense of what she might be wearing through her incredible styles Michaela earlier, mm -hmm. and then at that point, we'll reach out to clients and ask them if they'd allow us to borrow back some of their pieces and meets that objective. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I find fascinating is that many of my clients are really excited for two things. Number one, to support me, mm -hmm. because they know that I don't have inventory. Right. They're, they're really excited to say, look, if you have this opportunity to have one of yeah. your designs worn by someone who can sure. create some exposure to this wild and crazy thing that you do of telling stories, here you go. Yeah. And then number two, hopefully they see that it's not you know, sort of someone random, though I don't think anyone would be yeah. I don't think anyone would be yeah, random. Yeah, I know what you're saying. I typically work with people who have something really special right. to say. Right. And that this is a moment where they're going to be celebrating the opening of a movie that is meant to really change the game. Which did change the game. Which did change the game. <laughs> and so even this year with Black Panther and, you know, Crazy Rejections and that. And so I'm not opposed to the rental model. I think anything that anyone is doing to transform and innovate in the jewelry industry is absolutely welcome. 
one of my biggest frustrations is how slow the industry has moved mm -hmm. in the years, and it's kind of losing some of its luster as everything's mm -hmm. getting more generic. And yes. It's just getting yes, a, a bit so corporate. Yeah. Um, but for me, it wouldn't make sense to, right. yeah. to rent anything because I don't have anything to rent. <laughs> that's right. And I don't even know if that's going to be a thing. You know, in the clothing industry, you know, and art, it's supposedly we're moving towards less, less mm -hmm. permanent ownership mm -hmm. and more. Um, so I don't know. I don't know where it'll go. It'll be interesting to see. I don't know how I feel about any of it. Well, and then to be frank, I think um, I would, um, if, if my clients were wearing bangles borrowed by one brand and earrings borrowed by another, they're getting new stuff every month because they want to keep up with the trends and do things that are interesting and exciting, more power to them. I would be so honored if the one piece or the second yeah, piece yeah, that, that they wear every day mm -hmm. is what we design. I don't need to make every piece for every person. Well, that's I so want to make true. the ones that are meaningful that they couldn't bear to be without. That is so true. When you rent something, it's not. there's no way it would ever be as meaningful. Mm -hmm. And are you a gemologist? I'm not a gemologist. So the gemology program takes four years to be a graduate gemologist. I did the night school program in Vancouver when I was 12, sorry, 14 years old. Oh my goodness. So I was a kid after working in the stores. Wow. Um, and it was, I think, every Thursday night. It was for three hours, and I did that for a year and a half. That's neat. And so I did enough that I'm allowed to write appraisals. <laughs> and I certainly can create diamonds and gemstones, yeah. and I've been called in to do uh, many different projects with different organizations as an expert on certain sure. gemstones, like emeralds and diamonds. But I'm not technically a graduate gemologist. And I get that question the most often at FIT because there's a perception, I think, that to be in the jewelry, jewelry business, you need to be a graduate gemologist. And I would argue that it's helpful from a credibility standpoint if you don't have the family relationships, right. if you don't have the MBA, if you don't have yes. some other sort of ways to build credibility, yes. Yes. it is one avenue. But I certainly do not believe that it is yeah. necessary. I actually believe that some parts of it can be a little bit, um, it can lead someone to the wrong conclusions. It's, it's almost like it's a little bit too intense for what the industry I think needs. Mm -hmm. I'd prefer someone who did a little bit of gemology, but a lot of something totally different. Right. You know, they say in a, in a class that I took by a professor uh, named Teresa Imobo mm -hmm. at business school, mm -hmm. the name of course is not necessarily important, but her class was about creativity. and. It was teaching the fact that um, most creativity happens at the intersection of two disciplines. And so if you have three jewelers in a room, you're going to create something really beautiful and creative. Mm -hmm. But if you have a jeweler and an engineer who's like an, you know, an aerospace engineer, mm -hmm. and someone who has experience in, you know, let's say, oil and gas, mm -hmm. and they start to hash out some sort of problem, you get really wild ideas. Mm -hmm. And you can imagine, like, a material that is made from yeah. asteroid that sure. exhibits properties like oil that defines the way that a piece of jewelry will lay on your neck. Right. And there's things that, fascinating. that are things. really fascinating. Yeah. And that's actually the reason I'm going to the World Economic Forum ah. tomorrow is to try to spend some time with people who are very different from me in different disciplines and try to have these intersection moments where right. creativity can really I love awesome. that. I love that. Okay, so let's talk about the continual relationship with your clients. So once someone has started with an engagement ring, what happens from there? Well, Delia, it's such an honor to learn part of the love story, right, when we make the, let's say, engagement ring. And about two-thirds of our business is engagement rings and bridal, one-third isn't. Many of the people, though, that came in for the engagement ring end up being the people 
who come in for the future pieces. Mm -hmm. And so what we like to say is that the first chance to get to know them is the engagement ring, mm -hmm. and that's the story of their love in a moment in time. Mm -hmm. The dream is that they come back for a wedding event, which almost all of them do, and we tell a little bit of the story of that year between when they were proposed and when they get married, okay. and both his and her wedding events. And then the fantasy is that we're there five years in the future, or three years when they have the first child, you know, when they have the first major anniversary, if they decide on a big change in their lives and move to another city or country, and one of them feels like this is something we want to remember for the, for the rest of our lives. I mean, that's always been my dream, to be able to tell the story of a moment in time, but collectively tell the story of a family and their life lived. Yeah. And I imagine, you know, when I'm an older man, sitting in my, you know, hopefully, pretty, you know, sort of comfortable bed <laughs> somewhere, and, uh, and I'm thinking about my life, I imagine how wonderful it would be to look at photographs of all of these pieces of jewelry and not only know the story of their lives, but mm -hmm. the story of my life and where I was, mm -hmm. and each of these moments designing each of these pieces for each of these families, and that someday my kids can meet some of their kids, right. and they can share their stories together. Right. This is this is it, the magic of being here forever yeah. and being long-term minded versus transactional. Right. Um, it, it's meaningful. Yes. And so we are lucky enough that most of our clients do think of us and keep us in mind for each of those major milestones. Mm -hmm. And as a result, I believe that in the next 10 years, we're going to be much more 50-50. Mm -hmm. Because that makes sense. many of those original clients are going to be testing us and pushing us mm -hmm. to create things that are a little more non-bridal. Right. And Increasingly, we're getting people who didn't know us five years ago when they got engaged, mm -hmm. but are really excited to create that push present with us. Right, or maybe they're like, I didn't get the engagement ring from you, so, but I would love to have something else. Yeah, or, or they feel like you know, this was really beautiful and I wanted it, it was trendy back then. I kind of get the timelessness yes. thing and I definitely get the personal detail thing. Right. So maybe we'll do a right hand ring that's actually going to move to my left. <laughs> wow, wow. So there's yeah. lots of different models that, sure. that operate. Sure. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today on The Style That Finds Us. We've loved being here with Zamir. And you know, one of the things that we feel strongly about is showing ways that you can take part in things that maybe you thought were off limits to you. And this is a great example because yes, he does design incredible pieces that celebrities wear, but also he is open and works often with people at at, at, at all kinds of price points. So don't be afraid to reach out to, to Zamir and his team because their goal is to tell your story. It's not about how much or how big the, the ring or the piece of jewelry is going to be. It's all about telling the story of the things that mean a lot to you. So we're so honored to be here with you today and tell people how we can, how they can reach out to you. Of course. Well, I love hearing you say that because I couldn't agree more. Okay. Um, please, I mean, reach out in any way that you would like to. You can email me at Zamir and ZamirKassam.com. You can phone us. There's lots of different buttons on the website. You can Instagram oh. message. You can Facebook message. I mean, we're all here. The only thing we care about is to be able to learn love stories and tell those stories. And so we do get back to every single person in, you know, very quickly to see if we can be part of something really special in their lives. So I really appreciate this time, this conversation, and hopefully being able to tell some stories of some of the people that are in your audience. Yes, that would be great. Excellent. All right. Join us next time. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Style That Binds Us podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. 
We would love it if you would go to your favorite podcast app and subscribe. The best way for us to know your thoughts is if you rate and review the Style That Binds Us podcast. This will give us the opportunity to know what you'd like to see from us in the future. Follow along on our adventures on social media at The Style That Binds Us, at Allison Brune, at Delia Folk are our handles. Until next time.